0: The Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host Monica Marvelous. How's it going, Monica? It going? <laughs> it's going. It's going like there's no n- nothing more <laughs> it's
1: going. Full we'll stop. Grades um, are turned in, which is fine too. Is great, yeah.
0: Uh, which means and like I'm, now I'm unemployed.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's why you're like, "Eh," because you just, you hit that momentum of like, all I can think about is grades and then they're done. And then you're like, and now what? I didn't have time to plan ahead.
0: (laughs) I, you know, I've enjoyed the last couple of days of, let's see, I, I finished grades. I had a dissertation chapter to deal with. I had another conference to deal with. I did the I had a whole bunch of work. Pennsylvania primary was this week and I work elections. So I did that. And then I just gave myself two days to watch reality TV and play with Legos and puzzles and stuff. So that's literally what I've done for the last two days. I've done nothing. It's been great.
1: <laughs> that
0: does sound
1: great. I'm rather envious of that. I'm not so good at doing nothing. I'm not doing
0: nothing. I have Legos. I I have puzzles. (laughs) I have have important episodes of The Circle to watch. This is very important. nothing. There's always a conference,
1: right? There's always a thing that I forgot that I signed up for.
0: (laughs) I actually do have a couple papers to write Or non-conference stuff. I have a book chapter I need to write. I have a book review I need to do for the newspaper. So yeah, there's always more, but like at least for this week, I was just like, I'm going to do nothing. But also watch TV shows and movies, which sort of brings me to the topic that, that we're talking about this week.
1: How many TV shows did you watch? With weird relationships
0: in them. I mean, I watched all of The Circle. So, you know, like
1: that.
0: But, like, it does sort of, you know, talk to the idea of weird relationships. But anyway, what we're talking about is naughty, taboo relationships in media. And I'll give more of the backstory of what brought it up in a moment. But I figure we'll introduce the, the guest first. So, this is the second time on the show, but first time as a regular guest, Caitlin Schuhert. Hey, Caitlin. Hey. You were on, for people who don't remember, you were on our PCA show two months ago. And so this is, the, this is the first time you've been on by yourself. So welcome back.
2: Yeah. Hey. And let
0: people know exactly who you are. Cause it's, you know, that was, that was a dozen people. So,
2: like, one. One. so yeah, I'm Caitlin Shurik, but you're fine. Don't worry that you mispronounced that last name. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I'm currently in graduate school. I think I finally nailed down my like focus on looking at relationships and media <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is perfect, right? but specifically, like looking at healthy and unhealthy relationships in media that's targeted for youth. Mm-hmm. so I'm excited to talk about that. but in my like daylight time hour, I work as a violence prevention coordinator at a victims rights agency. Hmm. So that's what I do all the time. so I look at things through a lens of let's not be rapists. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I mean, know that, considering but- we're
1: talking about taboo relationships yeah. and my half of the blog was how much we need to be talking about the modeling of healthy and unhealthy relationships on mm-hmm. television. I feel like this is uh, the perfect lens to add to this discussion.
0: I think so, too. So let's start with the backstory. This came about because I, I read a lot of entertainment news. I, I read of media theory. I read a lot of academic stuff and non academic stuff and things that are sort of akafan, like sort of the, you know, the mixture between the two. And I was reading this article by a woman named Samantha Heifel that was written back in, I want to say, February. And the premise of her article was essentially she says, there's too many incest. Um, stories on television. And I was like, are there really? Because I'm like, I'm going, okay, there's Game of Thrones. And then I was done. I was running out. I I was just trying to think through it. And she's actually talking about what she calls near incest. And she was complaining about TV shows where, there were two characters who are having a relationship who are essentially related, but not really related. And her, her image that she used for the article as the default was Jughead and Betty on Riverdale, best show on television, as everybody knows. And under the premise that they are dating, or at least they were at the point of that picture, because they're not a couple anymore on the show, but they were a couple. But also Jughead's father was dating Betty's mother. So that essentially makes it like dating your sister only not really because they weren't raised together and in fact they were dating each other before their parents hooked up or before you know their parents had hooked up in high school but they didn't know that so it wasn't really like they were raised like siblings and I was like uh, I don't know that I buy this article's premise but I want to think about it more and then she gave a bunch of examples she said the OC did this Gossip Girl did this The Flash did this and I was just like well I mean I see where you're going with it but I don't know if it's really a problem and then oddly enough completely unrelated a random friend of mine says so i was thinking about that movie clueless and isn't that just step sibling porn because they're you know Former stepbrother and stepsister in that movie. And it's like, OK, maybe this is something people are actually thinking about. And that's when I sort of posed the topic to, to our group chat, of which Monica was the only person interested. <laughs> but, but like the idea that I'm wondering about is there's if we have the idea of unhealthy relationship, things that we think are this is definitely wrong, taboo relationship. Do we use our media to sort of explore it? Right. Like we don't want to just talk about incest because incest would be scary, but if we make them stepbrother and stepsister, does that make it sort of okay? Yes, the movie Clueless is not pornographic, so it's not step sibling porn, but conceptually, isn't the entire point of them being related the exact same as the point of when we do step sibling porn? So, like, on the, the Flash, they actually grew up in the same house. They're not related, but, you know, he, Barry grew up in Iris's house. He moved in when he was nine, and her dad raised him, too. As, so. like,
1: a almost like an adoptive brother, I think is the best yeah. for people yeah. who haven't watched the show. See,
0: yeah. His mom was dead and his dad was in jail. So he went to go live with the next door neighbor family. That's the premise. So it's not a totally a we're siblings kind of thing but and he, I, I think the premise is supposed to be he had a crush on her even when he was nine though you know so back in fourth grade and now they're adults and they grew up and got married so and at the
1: same time so- it's like what makes that any of throw that like there, there's always that old like college adage of like oh you're not supposed to sleep with someone who lives on your floor like and so I wonder oh <laughs> whoa whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. Is, is that a rule wait a minute hold yeah. on a that's a rule I mean, that's
1: not a thing you've ever I, I guess that was something that I had always heard was this idea of like you're not supposed to hook up with someone or date someone if you live in a co-ed dorm who lives on the same floor as you because if it doesn't work out the amount that you will run into each other is greater and the amount that you will and i guess because you're 18 and you, you don't know how to be an adult about running into someone that you slept with and aren't dating okay, Lynn, is she making this up or
2: you had this
0: like,
1: <laughs> but uh- I
2: have I'm not never, aware of this rule. <laughs> I am not aware of this rule, but um, <laughs> all
1: right, maybe that's a, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't I, mean, I, I, I understand the logic like college. I do feel like the logic on there is one in which basically we're bringing it down to like teenagers, not being able to trust their feelings or emotions. Right. It is this idea mm-hmm. of like, yeah. Yeah. Eh, eh, like specifically, if we're saying about somebody like Barry and Iris or about somebody like Betty, Betty and Jughead is there, is this idea of like well teenage relationships don't usually work out and and therefore we're going to not trust like people who are still figuring out their sexuality and their feelings about their feelings which feels incredibly invalidating to me like and I think that's one of those like my take on why all of this exists on tv is I was thinking because it is like the more sterilized version than like you wouldn't want your kids to watch porn but you know that they're going to be kind of curious about porn and so if you put it on tv as not porn and kind of porn then like, like they get it out of their system a little bit like the curiosity is satisfied in this way that maybe then they don't need to go watch step sibling porn because I believe that it's important to like give validation to the idea that people should Understand themselves and understand their sexuality. I know that sounds kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but th- that was my thought as to why these things exist on TV is because it's essentially like the parent supervised version. It- it's the same reason that like fan fiction exists, right? Is because teenagers have to get those understandings about what all these feelings are out there in some way.
0: Well, it's, I mean, is fan fiction really? I don't think of fan fiction as being focused towards teenagers because. I, I think of fan fiction always as more of an, uh, I mean, it's all ages, obviously. <laughs> yes. But
1: maybe it was just because this is when I discovered fan fiction was as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a high schooler. I, and this is going to sound a little bit strange, but go with me. Of I had a, a discussion with a gay friend about like like gay men and straight women as being friends. And we had this discussion where I was like, honestly, I think most of those women are not straight. I think most of those women grew up in environments that where it was not necessarily safe to explore your sexuality and having a gay best friend becomes this place of being able to like project the parts of yourself that you want to be able to express that you haven't been able to. And and so I think that there is a lot of this like teenagers working out their feelings. And I think that it's actually sort of great that adults who are the writers of these shows are creating spaces for teenagers to be able to do that, where you don't have to feel like you have to go search some part of the internet. Instead, these things that you are interested in learning more about yourself can be found within mainstream. And I think so. Like, I think that's a good thing because I think the more that you have to go search quarters of the internet for fan fiction, that isn't immediately accessible, the more you feel like the idea of having sexuality or having desire is somehow Something that is shameful or should be hidden, when in fact it's a very natural process of growing up. Mm.
2: I love that, and I hundred percent, one hundred and fifty million whatever uh, agree of <laughs> <laughs> um, infinity. I think that my, I maybe I'm cynical, but everything that you said is like my hopes and dreams, and I, I think that there are less. There's there's less healthy modeling happening in the media that's that is targeted for our youth, specifically for teenagers. And and I'm saying that from a place of like when I go into a classroom and I'm teaching because I go into classrooms and I teach in a like six to twelve week session uh, about healthy relationships and boundaries and consent and empathy and all that jazz. And when I go in and I ask one of the first questions is. When you are watching TV or reading a book or even in your real life, who are the people that you see in a relationship and that's the relationship you want. Like we call it relationship goals. Time again, I get silent. They can't name a healthy relationship that they see, but they the teenagers that I'm interacting with are able to name unhealthy relationships and toxic relationships that they see in Riverdale or Gosh, euphoria because they're watching mm-hmm. that. Right. And even their mom and dad, it, it, they can't verbalize a healthy relationship
0: relationship so I, I think that's a weird thing that we do right it's a trick people say this and i think people feel it like right like you're always like oh i want you know i want representation i want to be able to see mm. healthy gay relationships on television i want to be i want to see healthy interracial relationships i want to see healthy non-binary relationships i want to see healthy and the thing is you do except that's not how story. Right, Mm -hmm. like sure, I can't name them, but that's because healthy relationships are inherently uninteresting. And I know people are like, "No, they're not." Yes, they are. Which is not to say that you can't do them. Of course you can. But if you look at the grand history of dramatic media, and I mean whether we're talking about something like Euphoria, which is on the air right now, we're talking about long-running, you know, Days of Our Lives or General Hospital. We're talking about comic books. We're talking about going back to Faulkner or going back to Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare is not interesting because Romeo met Juliet and everything worked out okay. That's not the fun part, right? The fun part is that like everything went to hell. The fun part of of Hamlet is that and everything went to hell. And yeah, there are comedies too where everything doesn't go to hell, but even then there's a lot of conflict because conflict is what we find interesting in stories. So I think that you end up with, you end up in, in these weird situations where you Sh- sure, I could have a story about, you know, Jughead and Betty met, they fell in love, they kissed, they fought, and they lived happily ever after. The end, well, that's not you know, that's not what anybody is really looking for in the story. They're looking for what are the ways in which they overcame all the adversity or failed to, right? So you're constantly breaking characters up in order to make things interesting.
1: I mean, so I actually want to bring yeah. up two like hard challenges to that, which are both Mm -hmm. cw properties one which i feel like is really interesting for the point of this discussion which is that i feel like barry and iris on the flash are an incredibly great like Mm-hmm. stable relationship mm-hmm. model in which they are both very supportive of each other's identity and independence and come across as a very strong unit. All of their stories mm-hmm. are about their unwavering love for each other. And this theirs is are. coming across as of like, we just brought them up as being like, aren't they step sibling porn? Mm-hmm. But, also
0: <laughs> right. like, well, but I mean, but there's are. but also a monster attacks them every week. They get lost in yeah. time um, like, like they have other there's drama, other, and yeah, everybody else's drama. relationship on the show sucks. Yeah. like it's just the two of them. Like everyone, everyone else is a fucking nightmare. Like, yeah. like, oh, my boyfriend or husband is actually an evil monster, demon guy, which is literally a plot from three weeks ago. Or, yes. you know, <laughs> I saved the world, but then I died. Or, like, uh, or we can't even admit that we have feelings for each other because to do so would be to be happy, and then like literal demons will attack us. Like, so yeah, they're fine but they're the weird exception that proves the rule because
1: <laughs> because everything else has to be a relationship yeah. nightmare the other one that i want to bring up is lois and clark because that mm-hmm. is a, a story that is very purposefully based on the premise that superman and lois lane are this like unshakable you mean the original
0: lois and clark not or do you mean superman and lois that's on right now i
1: mean superman and lois that's on right now it, like That is the point. That is another one where like all of the conflict is coming at all of the things that could possibly like break them down as a couple. Mm -hmm. Like that's literally the point is like, you know, her her not husband from another universe, which is also kind of step sibling porn in its own way, (laughs) like shows Mm -hmm. up and it's like, oh, is that going to break up the marriage? Is that going to challenge the marriage? Like, and, and so there is always... You're right. Mm-hmm. Like so even the ones where like everyone seems stable it's all of mm-hmm. the chaos that are, is around them because that's what TV is right. because
0: Because on that show right now, Lana is going through marital problems because her husband cheated on her. And like Jordan is having, I mean, he's dating, you know, Jordan, his girlfriend are having problems and there's a, you know, does it, you know, he's keeping a secret. Will that break them up? She's bisexual. Will that break them up? You know, there's all, you know, she cheated on her, on him with a girl that she, I mean, she kissed a girl, but you know, like these are, so even there, I think that we are, we have, we tell our stories by what are the things that get in the way? I think, I mean, I mean which, that's Which maybe oh, brings
1: us to like I mean, maybe we just need to talk about the myth of it being like a relationship is one in which there is no conflict, like, because mm-hmm. I think that's a really big problem is the reason that people feel like they can't see healthy relationship modeling is because they feel like it is the absence of fights when instead healthy relationship modeling should be like the ability to work through things in like healthy, productive manners. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it, the problem is so much of stories are breakups because that's what drives conflict or people getting together and then the thing ends that you were watching and then you don't know what comes after right and that was why i brought up degrassi as my grand example of like Mm -hmm. this is pretty pretty great healthy modeling in in which everyone fucked up like uh,
0: so so for people to know so you are a 65 year old canadian and so you've seen all of degrassi is what you're saying
1: i have seen all of degrassi i am not gonna lie how because you're not
0: old enough to have watched not old enough either. to have
1: watched <laughs> the original Degrassi I went back and watched the original Degrassi at some point in college when I was really interested in this idea of I guess, youth-oriented media uh, and television. And I think I was really interested in long-form storyline forever because I grew up on Mm -hmm. the X-Men, right? And I grew up on Chris Claremont, and I grew up on General Hospital. That there was something that was aimed at people my age that had been going on that long was incredibly interesting to me. So at some point in time, I definitely watched all of them like via illegal internet torrents (laughs) that other people were using for step-sibling porn to go back and watch Yeah. <laughs> like 70s and 80s episodes of Degrassi so that I could say that I had seen the entire thing and I have I even watched the awful like Gen Z Netflix spinoff I will be sitting down and watching the 2023 HBO relaunch of Degrassi because I'm just so interested in like the teenagers as they are figuring out their identities and Degrassi for me one was started as a educational based programming like it's essentially an after School special wrapped up in Mm -hmm. all of these narratives in which it's teaching kids about mental health. It's teaching kids about sex. And as someone who grew up in a very conservative community, I didn't actually learn how STDs were transmitted in school. I learned how STDs were transmitted because I watched that episode of Degrassi where everyone hooked up in the back of a van and then ended up with gonorrhea. Like, (laughs) 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 but but my point about just
0: science, sure. Like,
1: yeah, stay away from vans, kids. That's that's my. <laughs> <laughs> But my point is, is that there is something healthy also about teaching people that you can make mistakes and that's not a reflection of who you are as a person and mm-hmm. sometimes the only way that you learn is by making mistakes because you have to experience things like there's something that's incredibly forgiving about Degrassi as this long form storytelling in which people screw up and like figure things out and screw up again over the course of years and years and you see the same storylines repeated, I think, is actually like really important too. That there is this sense of like, just because one girl got pregnant doesn't mean another girl next season won't get pregnant because there there is this like, <laughs> it's it feels very human. That's how pregnancy works, right? That's how pregnancy <laughs> works is that's what happens sometimes when you have sex. <laughs> that, that to me is like, despite the fact that this is like, it kind of seems like it would be unhealthy, like is actually very healthy to be putting forth as a behavioral model of like, what do you do? How do you learn about these things?
0: I wonder if the problem is that people focus on the salacious bit, right? Like, it really doesn't occur to me other than reading it in the context of this article, right? Like, I, I'm not thinking about Jughead and Betty as, but they're step-siblings, because again, they're not really. And I'm not really thinking of, about that as the the key aspect of Barry and Iris's relationship either. I mean, it's more that in a sealed world, which is how we do television drama, right? In a television drama, you need to date inside of this circle of eight people. That's, those are our options, right? <laughs> like because like, like, these are our main characters, and like if you and if you're dating outside the circle, you know, that person's probably gonna die unless they can impress the audience in three episodes so that their contract gets picked up, right? This, I mean, I'm just giving you behind the scenes of how this works, right? Like you get signed for a three-episode guest spot and then you know that you're going to break up at the end of that or and and then like if people write in a lot they're like oh well we're going to up you to a full time regular and that's how people end up on shows that's how relationships happen and that's true on dramas it's true on sitcoms that's just how it works but if you think about it that's why if you're on friends or you're on 90210 or whatever you date within the group because that's just what you do life doesn't exist outside of the group right same thing of like something like the office right on the office there are so so many inner office relationships, the Dunder Mifflin should be an HR nightmare. (laughs) It should not like, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say I haven't hooked up with people I've worked with before. Of course I have, but like, that's not, it's not regular, you know, it's, you know, and that's like kind of a, that's kind of a thing that's just like to be expected that of, you're dating within the office. We don't have lives outside outside these walls because this is the only time when T V watches us. So I get that, right? Like that's gotta be part of it. And because of that's where some of the conflict's gonna come from, right? Like, and you have to like suspend disbelief on some of the issues. But on the other hand, I think that allowing this to happen allows us to explore some of the more naughty taboos that we don't want to touch up on, right? Like it's really hard to do a story about incest on television like the fact that it happened on game of thrones was shocking oh my god they went there they're showing an incest plot that's a lot right so if we want to talk about the weirdness of it i think we have to address it by the proxy of using step siblings right so if we look at something um like clueless you know are they step siblings i mean their parents have already gotten divorced when they hook up and so they weren't raised together they lived together for a couple of years and then didn't anymore and then were interested in it each other so that's not really all that taboo other than the fact that oh there's this boy i like you know am i supposed to avoid him just because our parents used to fuck each other no <laughs> like that's basically how the shit how the movie ends up right like no and she acknowledges the weirdness of it and then she moves on <sighs> I think that part of us wants to be able to do that. Part of us wants to be able to question whether or not we can have cousin relationships or step sibling relationships. It's why Faulkner wrote about it, right? Like so, and that's great literature. So why can't it happen on Riverdale?
1: So I recently read a book that I actually I recommended to you, Mav, and it was mm-hmm. called Avidly Reads Guilty Pleasures. And Mm -hmm. in this book, they describe something that they refer to as uh, rich white people fictions. And Mm -hmm. what they mean is shows like Gossip Girl, where the whole point is that everyone is rich and fabulous, but not just rich. It's like so rich that no person in this world could ever actually be that rich. Like this isn't even like it's not modeled after a person because this level of wealth and glamour does not exist it is a Mm -hmm. like a fantasy of a wealthy lifestyle without actually being a depiction of a wealthy lifestyle and it is also one in which the whiteness itself is the fantasy so it is the idea that these people are so white that even white people can't be that white Mm -hmm. that allows everyone to sort of feel this sense of like oh this is what i wish i could be without ever being able to achieve it because we could none of us can ever be that rich or that white and that is the fantasy and the reason that this works in terms of relationship drama and relationship plot is some version of like When these people have relationship drama that it's, oh, so money doesn't fix everything, so therefore it makes sense that I also have relationship drama. Or it is this idea of like, oh, if only my life was just a little bit more glamorous, then maybe I could also have this great relationship which also continues to sort of reinforce a capitalist hierarchy in which we all just bought more things and had makeovers and we're just a little bit more white and a little bit more rich, maybe we too could have relationships. is really reinforcing all of these like sinister hegemonic ideals. I don't know why that's the thing that I think of when you bring up clueless, but I think clueless maybe is a really great example because it's based on Emma in which like it, Austin was trying to write a very rich white unlikable person. <laughs> it maybe feels like it's all just serving that larger hierarchy, and and so therefore I... it's the step siblingness of like most of us don't have hot step siblings. That like <laughs> it also exists as this like out of reach fantasy. And I know that that sounds strange, but I I think that it is the like why can't I find a man who's perfect for me? Oh, it's because 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 I don't have a hot stepbrother. Of course, I'm not in a relationship.
0: Is that really it? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I had a comment just to address the rich part, right? I had a comment on my Facebook page from Jonna Carroll. She says, it is interesting to me that all of these incest type of uh, scenes invoke upper class people and any sort of approved of. While society still thinks that rural and poor people are inbred and that makes them stupid. Also, the more promiscuous a community, the more likely there is to be unintentional in- incest. And it's like, yes. But also, I do think that part of the problem is TV tends to make people rich on some level just because it makes it easier to focus on whatever they want the narrative to be. So there's a television poor is not real, poor, right? Because even in the example that I'm using for the blog where I use Jughead, he's not actually upper class. In fact, he's homeless at that point. He's supposed to be poor. He's just a very good looking homeless kid right like he's you know he has the
1: best you know, access to a shower <laughs> yes
0: and immaculate hair yeah. right like he's just because he, he's got to be CW smell. hot yeah. all the time right <laughs> And the same thing happens with on Friends. Joey and Phoebe are by argument of the show. They are considerably uh, less well off than everybody else on the show. They are supposed to be poor. Joey eventually gets better when when he becomes a TV star and he gets on Days of Our Lives. But for early seasons of the show, he is a very much a struggling actor who can't make rent. And Phoebe is, you know, a former homeless person who is now just scraping by, you know, as a busker, you know. Like she is, she's playing guitar badly at a coffee shop and that's her means of support. And they have amazing apartments. In New York City, <laughs> like this is yeah. <laughs> this should be impossible. But the problem is the story can't proceed if she's driving a cab or being a waitress. You know, even when Rachel is a waitress, she's, you know, she's the worst waitress ever because she's, you know, working in a coffee shop and spends all the time talking to her friends. She would have been fired immediately. But we need to have the show happen. So we just ignore things like that. And I think it's the same reason that Disney kills parents, right? Disney kills parents off because it's easier to allow the kids to go on an adventure if they don't have parents telling them no, right? So I think that part of that is convenience. Of the fantasy, like where I don't know that they're, but I do think it has an effect because I do think that even if it's just done for convenience, the fact that we've essentially made this a world which is very white and very rich, even if it's just done to make to facilitate the facilitate story matters, right? In the same way that it matters that, you know, why is everyone hot on the CW? Well, frankly, because hot people are more fun to watch than less hot people. That's why, right? And people say, well, I want to see real people on television. No, you don't. I mean, you, you think you do, but you don't. I know because every time they try to put real people on television, those shows don't do very well. So maybe there are a few people who want to see real people on television, but most people don't like that's the problem, right? Beautiful people do better. And in fact, even Hollywood ugly people are actually generally quite attractive. <laughs> you know, like they're, oh my God, person is horribly overweight. She's a size nine, you know, <laughs> you know like the, Like it, it is just a very weird way that we think. So I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if they're really upper class. I don't know if it's really related or if it's just if this is part of the conflation is just what makes us view these things weird, you know, makes us makes our idea of what class is wrong and our idea of what rich is wrong.
2: I think something that's interesting to note here is that when we look at these different taboos and we look at the whiteness and the, the privilege and whatnot just from my lens, I see a lot of red flags that directly would impact like vulnerable populations mm-hmm. because we know that black communities and indigenous communities and those in lower socioeconomic status, they are affected at greater lengths just with, you know, the age gaps. You, you had mm-hmm. <laughs> written about age gaps and babysitter fantasies and the teacher fantasy and whatnot. And it was being m- modeled or glamorized um, on television in a way that That I mean, I would say it's gross, but um, that's because I'm thinking of a teenager watching it and thinking that it's not gross. But and then thinking about the fact that what we see being portrayed are these like rich white folks, when I also know that those vulnerable populations are at higher risk for sexual assault and rape Mm -hmm. and getting manipulated by a teacher or a babysitter or somebody who is an adult who's like. 20 years old when they're 14 and that's, very wrong, right? But I guess that's where my mind kind of goes when we're talking about privilege and whiteness, and I this adds almost another like layer to that onion.
0: That well, let's talk a little bit about the age ones then, because I mean, you brought up the yeah. you brought up like the age gap relationship. Because I, I I linked to another video, but then I was looking at another comment that we had. This is from Anders Weinstein. He says off your main point, but I think Woody Allen has only made one film, Manhattan, that features a taboo relationship with an underage girl. It doesn't seem to be a recurring theme in his movies. I suspect your joke is projecting stuff from his off-screen life. It's like, actually, no, because he's made Woody Allen's made zero films where a man has has sex with an underage girl. In Manhattan, she is explicitly 17, which is legal in New York. Was legal back then? And by the way, is legal in New York right now. Any 17-year-olds are adults in New York, and that's kind of what makes the movie creepy. I do think that, I mean, it's like he's supposed to be, I think he's, geez, I haven't watched in a long time. I think he's 42 and she's 17. He might be 45, but he's in his 40s and she is 17 and she it's not an illegal relationship. She is very much a legal adult in that film. He's made other films where he is frequently 10 years older or 15 years older or even 20 years older than, you know, I'm seeing a woman who's in her 20s and I'm in my 40s or 50s, right? I, I think that the entire point is we've put her on the cusp so that we can consider it just kind of socially acceptable where it's like because if they'd made her 16 everybody would have definitely had a problem with it right so like you made her as young as you possibly could have by making her 17 to where it becomes questionable and even still you know i am a man in my 40s if i suddenly had a 17 year old girlfriend people would have have questions and that's I rightly so. Right. But that's not to say that it doesn't happen. I know people where it has happened. And, you know, if you make it work, you know, more power to you, I guess. But I think that what's happening is, you know, something like Manhattan gives us a chance to explore it. And then also you start wondering about stuff like I was talking about this episode with my wife and she's like, oh, well, you know. It, it matters when it's a woman versus a man and I was like well because she's like it doesn't really happen that much in media where where women date much younger men and I was like actually it happens all the time and it happens all the time in real life we just don't think about it as much because we talk about cougars milfs and stuff and we make it positive but you know Riverdale had that plot on the first episode no less it starts with you know Archie is dating a teacher You're like we know that this is a thing and we can do it with Harold and Maud. we can do it with American Pie so I think that we want to explore these power dynamic relationships, even if they're questionably legal, right? Like, like the fact that she is legal makes it easier to explore. I mean, Manhattan's weird because Manhattan, I think people think of 18 as age of consent, except that 18 is age of consent in very little of the US. Most of the places huh. it's 17, some places it's 16, some places it's 15. But like 18 is like the maximum age of consent in the US. It's not a federal law, which I think people think it is. It's not, it's state by state. So I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking of other age, age gap. I was, I recently, I was watching Shiva baby, which is very good. Everybody should watch it. But in that film, we're talking about a man, I don't know, 27, 28. He's old enough to have a baby and he's, he's old enough to be married and have a baby and a relationship with a girl who is just graduating from college. So she's 22. And the story sort of presents it as though, you know, Oh my God, he is this much older man uh, of you know five years or eight at most he's thirty you know the but like that's just the story of it right in in reality I don't think I don't think it's all that weird to have a thirty year old dating a twenty two year old oh, uh- that's uncommon at all. <laughs>
1: want to bring up I love 90 day fiance I really do Mm -hmm. my husband and I sit down we have this ritual we watch it every Sunday and then we go wow that fight we had was like actually pretty normal in comparison we really don't have any problems our marriage is great like we watch it (laughs) to to affirm ourselves (laughs) we are normal like that is the function of 90 day fiance for us But I also bring it up because a lot of 90 Day Fiance is based on weird, maybe weird's not the right word, but larger age gaps of both Mm -hmm. men and women dating people who are younger. But there is a couple this season and the girl is 29 and she's dating Mm -hmm. a 23 year old and she keeps being like, oh my gosh, I'm such a cougar. He's such a baby. And it is the smallest age gap of basically anyone on the entire season. And um, they also live together in a foreign country for like almost a year like and they adopted a dog they are the closest to what i would call like not the normal couple that you would see on 90 day fiance by which i mean Mm -hmm. usually they've met each other like three times in person for like two days like they are the closest to what i would consider the modeling of a like not long distance internet relationship yeah And so there is still something very funny to see, like, obviously, she's being fed things by producers that are like, we need to play up something for the relationship drama for her to be like, oh, I'm so old. And she's only six years older than this guy, (laughs) which is the most normal relationship that you are currently seeing on this program. Because the point of this program is to, I would argue, also display taboo relationships, because there is this sense of like, you are supposed to have met your partner in person more than for a week before you get married. You are supposed to, you know, marry someone within an, a, a certain age. You are supposed to marry someone who uh, speaks the same language and you don't have to talk via Google Translate. Like there, there's a lot of, or there's a lot of questions of like people who are like sex tourists or who are weirdly exoticizing their partner because they come from another country. And perhaps that's a function of the taboo relationship too, that doesn't necessarily come up when we talk about step siblings, Betty and dughead because they're not really. But is this like, oh, the relationship that I am in is actually like by comparison, very healthy and normal. And I could see that as potentially being problematic because when you're depicting things that are just such extremes on television to be like, oh, my relationship is normal. It's like, well, yeah, everyone's is normal compared to the fact that like, you know, you've actually met your partner in person or whatever the comparison happens to be. But it's such in which you could potentially be giving permissions for certain behaviors that you shouldn't be giving permissions for because the things that you're seeing mm-hmm. on TV are so sensationalized and so played up that they couldn't ever possibly look like a real relationship.
2: Right, exactly. And I think that like on, on TV when there's even an, an unhealthy relationship you see high school couple break up and it's awful and horrible and it's been a toxic relationship but are we portraying that in a healthy way? The the actual breakup itself is that healthy? Are we modeling healthy behaviors throughout that toxic relationship? Because I think that teenagers and adults we're bound to have toxic and unhealthy relationships regardless It's, it's the statistic that's like burned in my brain but it's one in three teens will be in a, they will be victims of teen dating violence. Before, mm. before they're 20. And out of those three, those one in, or that one in three, one in three will actually report it. So that's the, the thing that, you know, always sticks in my, my head. So are we, maybe we are modeling these relationships in a way that can be like red flaggy, but are we giving the tools to navigate that? I think is, is where it's a disservice. Cause I i don't necessarily see that. Am I an expert on the actual television shows that teenagers are watching? No, because I, I haven't gotten that far because I'm not super interested in watching everything <laughs> that they watch, and I also watch a lot of bluey right now with my <laughs> seven-year-old, but um, which has great.
0: Are there inappropriate relationships there? No,
2: that's the so, like that's the most interesting thing, right? Is that early childhood focused television has great relationship models with like the the friendships and the parents or the um, grandparents that the the kiddos are around it's funny because when mm-hmm. i i was with a group and i asked the the relationship goals questions and they were juniors and seniors in high school and they said peppa pig's parents that's who they <laughs> thought of <laughs> <laughs> well, like not something yeah, that they watch right,
0: right? So, so Bluey is, I mean, your kid's seven, you said, yeah, right? Yep. So, I mean, there is a point where your kid's going to turn 14 huh. and the shows are going to overnight become much more soap opery. Don't want to talk right? about this, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but well, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, linear nature of time. I don't know. You, you know, you got seven years? No, I don't know. They
2: already are. They already, she's already at that, like, that starting to approach that hill of yeah, teen tweeny, right? And yes, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. well, yeah. she's
0: old enough. So at seven, she's going to be old enough where she's not going to be watching a lot. <sighs> she's not going to be watching new baby shows, right? It's like true, she's not. Yeah. If she's not into Paw Patrol now, it's not going to happen. If she's mm-hmm. not into Coco Melon now, it's not going to happen, right? Also mm-hmm. fine with. Yeah, so it goes back to this thing earlier that I was talking about. You know what we look for in our stories is conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe we look for conflict where. Where, you know, I'm being attacked by supervillains or vampires or you know comets or you know aliens or whatever. Or maybe we just look for a conflict of my boyfriend's cheating on me. I don't mean looking for it ourselves, but I mean like that's what you know we read about. You know. Are we looking for serious, how do we deal with cancer type stories? Or are we looking for salacious, you know, but there's two boys that are perfect. And which one do I want to be with? You know, the plot of every YA novel, right? Like Mm. from Twilight to Hunger Games. And I mean, Hunger Games and Twilight both have either vampires or, you know, an apocalypse to deal with. You know, they've got greater problems, but they're predicated. Both of those book series and film series are predicated on this love triangle where the girl is being forced to choose between two dreamy boys. Right. Like that's the real drama, because what we're looking for is that this relatable aspect of I have, you know, I have relationship problems, but at least my boyfriend's not a vampire. You know, like, like Monica said, right? Like, <laughs> at least he's not a vampire. At least he's not a werewolf. He hasn't tried to kill me, like literally kill me. If he does, it's bad. I mean, I'm sure if we're talking about, you know, modeling, modeling, healthy relationship, I'd say more the problem is that every time Bella is almost killed by one of these idiots, she forgives them rather oh. than, you know, run away, which is what you tell, you know, any actual 15 year old girl in a toxic relationship. I mean. I would hope. So like that's more the problem. But I also don't think like I could write a novel where two kids meet, they have a respectable courtship they have sex for the first time on prom night. They use protection. They date for another year, break up mutually and you know, respectfully in college, remain friends, eventually meet people and get married. In the end. I could write that. I bored myself even saying those sentences. <laughs> like who, who wants to read that? I don't know.
2: I think that there you can have a healthy relationship and still have conflict in the relationship there can be drama in the relationship sure I mean we all have
0: all three of us are married so yes absolutely
2: that's the frustrating part (laughs) and I think that Monica said that earlier is that like we just don't know how to show that
0: no. Or do we want, or do we want worse? Right. Like I'm trying to, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. So in real life, you know, my wife and I might argue over whether the house is too messy or, you know, you know, what are we going to spend money on? Or, you know, who do we really want to go have dinner with my mother-in-law or whatever? Right. Like, I don't know, whatever stupid shit that couples argue over. Right. Do I want to read about that? Or would I rather read about some, you know, secret affair with someone's stepbrother? Like, I mean, I know the answer for me, I'd rather read about the secret Salacious Affair. I don't want to read people having problems that I have in real life. That sounds like sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to escape, you know, like that I mean, but I don't know that Maybe I'm weird. Maybe there are lots of people reading about mundane relationship problems, but I don't think there are. On the other hand, I'm also the guy who like my favorite part of superhero stuff is when people are just dealing with mundane. You know, I was going to say that there is problems.
1: like a, then there's a balance. And, and so I wonder, is it mm-hmm. that like we want mundane relationship things like in packaged inside some version of a a superhero show, a detective show, a whatever. Like, or Mm -hmm. we want the entire thing to just be salacious relationship. It seems... Like it almost exists as these two categories hmm. in which the relationship is the normal part and everything else is crazy or everything else is normal and the relationship is crazy. And we somehow haven't mm. figured out if there's a possibility of a third type of narrative.
0: Maybe there's not. Um, oh, that's a good question for readers. Which,
1: which <laughs> was sort of what I tried to bring up with the Gossip Girl reboot, which was that, like, mm-hmm. to me, the reason it failed is because it tried too hard to kind of look like real life. And then we were all kind of (laughs) bored, like there was this sense of like it tried too hard to be like well what would a rich kid's life really be like and we were like but we don't care <laughs> because none yeah. of us are actually going to be these rich people like that's not the that's not the fantasy that we are it's no longer a fantasy like and now we're no longer interested and now the relation all of the relationships seem terrible and the fantasy seems terrible so why are we watching mm-hmm. this thing that kind of just seems as terrible as our actual fly When I would argue that the idea of a salacious relationship or a superhero genre are fulfilling escapisms for us.
0: Well, that's the Fifty Shades problem, right? Like, So if you know anyone who's very, very deep into the kink community, they all hate it shades of gray because it's like uh-huh. this is a horribly toxic relationship between this person you know christian gray is a horrible man who's taking advantage of this woman who has no idea what she's into she's new to this whole thing and everything's toxic there are consent issues all left and right like this is a horrible thing and anybody who actually does this for life, it's like no it's, well, it's a lot and also you don't want to just try this like it, you know if you are doing rope playing you don't know what you what you're doing you could be hurt really badly and so like i i know a lot of people who are just like like, oh, well, if people like Fifty Shades of Grey, they should be watching this much more realistic thing instead. And then all of the, you know, middle-aged women who loved Fifty Shades of Grey went and looked at this more realistic stuff and they go, this isn't what I want i'm not looking because they're not actually looking for an accurate portrayal of this they want the fantasy so is that the same thing what monica was just saying i think so
1: yeah okay and
0: i don't know i mean but
1: it's the same thing of like like, porn is not real sex right like porn is also just a like a fantasy depiction of sex
0: Uh, Yeah, well, actual porn stars will tell you, like, even, like, this is not how I fuck in real life. It's really hard to fuck for the camera. Like, you you know, you're not even facing each other. You're trying to open your bodies up. And it's, like, really, they're, like, the angles are impossible because they don't feel good. They only look good on camera. They'll say stuff like that. But the same way, you know, real sex is not, you know, visually interesting. I mean, not in the same way, you know? (laughs) No, because like if people are really having sex, they're probably, you know, blocking all the naughty bits. <laughs> like, that's kind of, you know, like there's a there's a butt or a head in the way of all the stuff that you want to see. <laughs> well, there is. Yes. <laughs> like, that, like, so like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, so I guess the same thing. So
1: then then it does come down to are there healthy relationship models or can we actually depict healthy relationship models in a way that also fits what TV has decided needs to be like the narrative and that was sort of why I brought up Degrassi as being like one of the rare examples that I could think of Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I mean Degrassi also got cancelled like they're gonna reboot it but it did get cancelled like there is a there is that like it eventually wasn't serving the The need, which was we needed after school specials because I don't know now we have the internet and can build it was much, it's much easier to access communities about the things that you want to learn about mm-hmm. or to have mm-hmm. representation to meet other LGBT people teens or whatever it happens to be where i would assume that all of those things came into play where grassy wasn't pulling the same viewership numbers that before but at the same time i'm like if caitlin you were teaching these classes and these teens are still not able to name healthy relationships i'd argue we're still failing in some way so is is there a a better equivalent to grassy for the contemporary audience
0: is degrassi really it's a show you like, but here's the, I mean, and I see what you're saying about there are healthy relationships on it, but also there's a lot of unhealthy relationships on it, but also there's a lot of fantastic stuff, but also there's a lot of the show was on the air for 40 yes. years. you know, like, like they've had a lot of time, you know, in a way that like uh, I could say the same about, you know, days of our lives, a show that I adore. Right. And I haven't, I don't watch it. I haven't been watching it regularly in the last couple of years, but I grew up loving days of our Lives, And, you know, there are hits and there are misses. And so, does Degrassi seem like it's great because, you know, they got to have some good points and some bad points after it's been on the air? for 43 years, oh. like legitimately it premiered in 1979, so
1: Absolutely, I think it's the same way that like, when the original Gossip Girl came out, everyone was completely obsessed with the idea of Tuck and Blair like being this great relationship goals couple, and then you rewatch it, and you're like, wow, this is maybe the most toxic relationship I've ever seen on television, why did we ever <laughs> vote for them to be together but, so yeah, I think that there is also that sense of like, and things are gonna change over time, too, as like as culture changes
2: and I think that Degrassi did a really I also was a huge Degrassi fan I have not watched all of them I have watched <laughs> all of them from like 2001 to like when I was out of college because I was still watching it then but I think what they did a good job at doing was even when they showed like the toxic stuff and the unhealthy stuff and the bad was they gave those narratives and those tools on how to navigate that so it wasn't it wasn't just just like Archie and Veronica who have sex, 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 sex. And that's what their relationship is. It was that were to happen, then it, there was eventually some discussion between friends about how this is not healthy and what do you, what is your relationship? You know, there was some kind of like navigation around that and why that is not okay. So or we don't get that. in.
1: And I think the, yeah, the, that's that, yeah, the nature of it being designed popular. as an after-school special, right? Is that it had to come with, messaging that a lot of narrative television shows don't like they're not required to build into the narrative versions of this is how you can talk to an adult about, you know, someone having an abusive home or you know any of the topics that came up in grassy storylines because because you're right that was the thing that set it apart was this Hmm. how do you talk to people about these things
0: you're arguing that the difference is that it's good though right (laughs) i mean that's i mean i mean mean, when it comes down to
1: right because bad things are going to happen and the good is that we're going to teach you what you're supposed to do about it like Because I think that's more realistic when we're talking about healthy modeling is not that this Mm -hmm. idea that these things won't happen, what you what your options are when they do happen. The fact that Degrassi has had multiple storylines of people getting pregnant and people who have chosen to get abortions and people who have chosen to keep the baby, like the fact that they have Mm -hmm. exhibited both of those options equally and have developed both of those storylines in terms of you know the character who gets an abortion doesn't just have an abortion and it's fine the next episode they might you know still be thinking about the fact that they had that abortion or the the character that had a baby is now also figuring out childcare while still being in school there there is this sense of again because it's long form storytelling the idea that there's going to be long term effects from either one of those decisions that i feel like are explored both
0: I mean, so again, I I think Degrassi is special in that they had 40 years, right? Like that's it. I mean, and it's legit 40 years. It's been off the air for the last two years. It's come back, but like, and it premiered 43 years ago. So they've had a lot of space to do this, but I'm just thinking of other teen shows of recent times that have had some level of success, but like a lot of criticism. And the one that like, it keeps jumping in my head is 13 reasons why, which took a lot of shit. I like the show, but you know what? It's not good. It's overly melodramatic. And the fl- law of 13 reasons why is that every problem happens, right? So are they modeling good solutions? Well, no, they're specifically modeling bad ones. Like the way things happen on 13 Reasons Why is this is a dramatization of what happens if everything goes wrong. There is suicide and drug abuse and rape. And, you know, it's like literally all of the worst things happen here. And the premise is you know, from the first season, at least is based around this suicide. And I remember like all of the think pieces being like, well, this is horrible advice. And it's like, yeah, I know. Watch the show. Like literally the girl, you know, a girl gets raped. And, you know she goes and asks somebody for help and they're like are you sure you were raped and then people are like well that's horrible and it's like yeah the show knows that it's horrible it's not like excusing it it's literally saying here is the world doing the worst possible thing to this girl so I think there's value in that I mean I, like I don't think anybody was watching that show going ah this means it's okay to rape people and tell them that you don't care like I don't think that was the message to 13 Reasons Why or you know when they hide drug abuse from their parents they're like oh so don't tell the parents that your friends on heroin like no this out really bad for them so I think that there's I don't know and maybe I just have too much credit in people under the age of 18 and I don't think I do I don't think I have a lot of faith in humanity in general but I do think that they understand that like some things are dramatizations of badness I think, I
1: think that gets to my earlier point of like I don't think we should be so worried about these like relationships being on TV like I, I think that we mm-hmm. do need to give more credit to teens and the fact that like they do need to figure out their own ideas identities and sexualities. Like that mm-hmm. is part of growing up is giving that autonomy and giving that space. I, I think that they do understand the difference between what is good and bad or they wouldn't be able to sit in classrooms and give examples of things that are unhealthy relationship modeling in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. So we resolved nothing.
1: Maybe yeah. <laughs> don't go in vans, kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's <sucks. Don't> go- <laughs> <laughs> gonorrhea. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: Is it just bands? Is that how it works? I don't know. Yeah, you
1: can only get gonorrhea in a band, just like you can't get pregnant in a hot tub.
2: <laughs> I don't think either of you are wrong in that. I think that we should give teenagers all of the freedom to figure out who they are. I want that world. I think that we are not putting in place good system of support to catch them when they need us. And I say, us like what I do, and teaching, you know, a well rounded curriculum of sex education in schools. And, oh my God. And, yes. Um, Please don't make me look so taking... degrassy. Like, yeah. <laughs> not taking condoms from kids <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. being able to say gay in school and so that's I guess that's where my, my greater here lies is that yeah absolutely have step sibling relationships and age gaps and all that craziness or not I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum but do all that stuff but we're if society is going to be cool with that we please be cool with saying sex and gay and condoms condoms and gonorrhea and all that stuff in school that those kids learn about that stuff they I mean the
0: greatest society took all it took all cues from our show but I mean, I mean, but they, I mean it, well because here's my worry okay obviously if you have listened to our show before we tend to skew a little liberal okay we skew a <laughs> lot liberal. and we're gonna have a certain point of view that said I think that it's really easy for people to say well you know I'm progressive and so I'm right." But I've seen a lot of progressive and liberal parents who had a lot of problems with 13 Reasons Why three years ago. I've seen a lot of progressive and liberal parents who have a lot of problems with euphoria today. Uh And if you have a problem with euphoria today, then I think the problem is at the end of the day, you don't want your kid watching sexy kids on TV. That's your issue, because you know what? Euphoria, and I've not watched all of it, but I've seen it, and even 13 Reasons Why, a hell of a lot more. More responsible than the bullshit that was happening on 90210 and sure as hell a lot of a lot more responsible than the bullshit that was happening on safe by the bell right like i understand what the issue is but kids are going to have their own media and they're going to exploration and i think that you know sometimes you have to acknowledge that 14 year olds are sexual beings with sexual feelings and you know those sexual feelings might be for people you don't like maybe because they're gay maybe because they're too old for them. And I, I'm not saying you can't have a problem with it in real life, but I'm saying that like sort of that's why we have TV programs is to explore these kind of these kinds of things, right? Like you like, yeah, you're going to have relationships on television that are a grown woman having sex with a 15 year old boy, which is the first episode of Riverdale. That's, you know, I understand why that's creepy. I also think it's a good thing to explore on television, but you know, that's me, the crazy liberal progressive person with a podcast that does this but we just said that the world should be taking all of its cues from us so <laughs> i don't know
1: i mean maybe yeah it's that you can't stop sex we can quote me on that
0: you can't stop sex. you can't I stop mean, sex and the I get you get can- tired eventually i mean i, I try uh, like six hours tops i mean <laughs> i'm not staying but go ahead yes
1: so The more that we, the more that we talk about it, like the better prepared everyone is going to be, like the less unwanted pregnancies there will be because we know what condoms are. Like that's, I don't know why that's hard. And that is coming from, that is my liberal perspective.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so we're all over the place today. I am really curious, you know leave us comments. Let us know what your thoughts are on all of these things. I mean, what shows didn't we talk about? What did we miss? What are your thoughts just on this in general? In the meantime, have you ever Caitlin, dated thank a thank step sibling? Us.
1: I would also like to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
0: thought you were asking Caitlin no, if she'd uh-huh. ever do this. I was this like, episode. I have not <laughs> for
1: the listeners. If you've ever dated a step sibling, let us know in the comments.
0: And care to talk yeah. about it. <laughs>
2: I've not have not dated my step-siblings but my mom my mom's ex-husband so I, I have an older brother who is my half brother ex-husband's father married my grandmother <laughs> Are you following? Yeah.
1: So I'm,
0: no, I'm trying to. I need a chart. I think this mom, is going to end with you being your own grandpa.
1: Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're not dad. You're not stepdad, but you're My almost not dad. Stepdad. You're almost stepdad married your grandmother. No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, you've broken us. Continue. I'm trying to figure out
2: a different way to say this. Okay. My my mom's ex-father-in-law married my grandmother. Does that make more sense?
0: Your mom's ex-father-in-law mm-hmm. married your grandmother. Okay.
2: Okay, so they so are my, of the same generation. My- okay. So my half-brother was my cousin for like two years. Wow. And my mom and her ex-husband were
0: siblings. Were the they,
1: ex- they were exes at the time.
2: They were exes. They were. Yes.
0: And again, uh, somehow you are your own grandpa. That's what I yeah. want.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know if anybody even knows that song. Uh, the old folk song. I am my own grandpa. It's a um, look it up on YouTube or on <laughs> Apple Music or Spotify or something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. This was fun. That.
2: Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: Hey, if people want to learn more about you, or follow you, where would they do that?
2: I have a Twitter now. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it is this that is is Caitlin. I don't post anything very interesting, but you can go for it and maybe I'll start.
0: I don't know. And Monica Marvelous. Uh
1: you can find me all the same old places. That's on uh Instagram or on Twitter at Monica Marvelous. On Instagram, that's L-O-U-S, and on Twitter that is L O U
0: X. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox podcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpodcast.com, or you can find out what we're talking about next week. I have no idea what that is yet. We need to figure that out. And you can leave us comments on this or any other show. You can give us suggestions. You can ask to be a guest. You can you can just tell us how we're doing. You can, you know, tell us your thoughts on this show, especially because, you, know, you know, we were all over the place and, and I really kind of want to know, you know, what you're thinking. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, helps other people find the show, and makes us feel good. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Caitlin for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.